In elementary school, the neighborhood kids and I put on a play version of Jumanji for the neighborhood down at Jordan's house. Sean had us save watermelon seeds all summer so that we could have a plague of ticks raining down from the sky. My dad helped me pack up the bongo drum in my little red wagon for rehearsals so that we could even have the drums beat when the game got intense. Just like the movie. A kid from the youth group was going off to college and happened to be visiting to say goodbye to my parents. He stayed for the show. Afterwards, he looked me in the eye and told me I was very creative and to keep on going. In middle school, my brother Zach got a video camera and he started making stop-motion animations with his Playmobil. At first, I didn't really understand what he was doing and it was my younger brother, so like, lame. But then I saw the end product and it sparked something in me. That eventually evolved into Zach and I making short films and music videos to our favorite songs. One time we were out in the woods by the old rifle range, quite a hike from the car, and we were making some stupid short where he walked through the woods and waded through a stream and then deep in the forest found a newspaper dispenser where he bought one and then continued hiking while reading. It wasn't our best film by far. But the reason I remember it is because as we were out messing around in the woods, he found an old pile of wood and was jumping on it. I told him to stop because there could be all kinds of dangerous objects in there. And then I turned, took one step, and that step happened to be onto a rusty nail that went through my high top and deep into the arch of my foot. I yanked it out and let out a scream. My brother offered to call it a day. But I said we needed to finish, so we kept going. 20 minutes later, we were getting the final shots, and I wanted to get a shot with the camera inside the newspaper dispenser looking out. So we did, and then when it came time to retrieve the camera, my brother noticed there was a wasp nest right next to it. So I carefully opened it up and reached inside, and of course got stung so hard right on the ball joint of my thumb. Walking back to the car, my hand was all puffed up and my shoe was sloshing as it filled up with blood, but I was satisfied. I had accomplished what I had set out to do, no matter the odds. It's coming up on 20 years since I made that short film with my brother, and my goals have evolved. Instead of, I'm going to make a short film today, my goal is to leave a positive and lasting impact on the world. It's about treating people a certain way and holding myself to a high standard of excellence and about constantly studying and improving and always putting something out into the world, always creating and building and giving and giving and giving. And because I have that drive, that desire to build something useful and beautiful and healing and helpful for people, because I love my work so much, it becomes harder and harder as the years go by to turn that off at night. In fact, most times when I try to turn it off, it's just replaced with fears about dying. When is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? How many years, days, minutes do I have left? And am I going to make the best of them? Or are they just ticking by eight useless hours at a time? Which is why I've always hated sleep. I hate it. It's useless, wasted time where I just have to lay still in bed trying to desperately shut it all off, to power down the thinking brain with the never-ending impossible checklist and just die for a few hours. There is so much I'd rather be doing than laying in bed motionless and useless and vulnerable to senseless nightmares. 
I've always had chronic nightmares. Every night, at least one. Some are so vivid they have stayed with me for my entire life, and I can remember every single detail. And some are so stupid that when I wake up, I have to remember them. Like the time I had to move 12 pickup trucks across an Olympic-sized swimming pool by carrying them on my back, and the pool was full of giant great white sharks. That dream was so real when it was happening. And I'll mention it was as an adult when I had that dream. I, I think it was just last year. The, the point is, if there's anything redeeming about having nightmares all the time, they are a constant reminder of just how creative my mind can be if I just let it do its thing. Sleep is a challenging thing for a lot of us, and the crazy thing about it is you can't avoid it. Like death, it's an inevitable part of life. You can fight and rage against it with caffeine and drugs and willpower, but no matter what, no matter who you are, it's coming for you. And there's nothing you can do to escape it. And once it's here, the true bottomless darkness of the mind takes control. You can't avoid it and you can't control it. You can take sleeping pills or smoke or meditate, but sleep will do what it wants. And the older you get, the more often it comes. After a meal, during a movie, on an airplane, remember those? Sleep is always lurking in the shadows, waiting to pounce and sink its long, oily fingers deep into your bones. Now that I'm older, I give into it much more willingly. I see clearly that eight hours of sleep means that I can be more productive, more creative. Now there comes a point in my day where I have to let go and set new micro goals for the day ahead and just do my best to make progress one day at a time. I try to clear my mind and think happy thoughts. And as the hours count down and the sun sets and the computer's packed away and my wife and the dogs and I are all laying still under the covers, I try my hardest to clear my brain and not think about the fact that one of these days, I'm going to close my eyes and never wake up. Hello, How are you? Joshua. Good. How are you? We are technically in November, but I'm not ready to go into the, you know, the most joyful time of the year. I'm not ready to do this just yet. So I'm going to go with you. I saw you did this on Instagram. Today is October 33rd? Yeah, October 33rd, All the right. date that we're recording this. We're just going to yeah. continue October until either Biden gets elected or... <laughs> October comes again. I'm totally down for that, but I know you also have a, a birthday this. I do, but you had an October birthday. I want to hear about how your birthday was before oh we moved past it. Uh, okay, so uh, that was on October 27th. It was, you know, what a birthday would be. I think we made burgers here. That was very exciting. Yeah, had had some burgers. That was part of madness. my birthday wish for you. And uh, we were able to watch uh, a, a whole series of uh twilight zones and then also uh the older ones the the rod uh, sterling uh twilight zones yeah. and we watched uh, uh friday the 13th 
and uh, watched uh, some Hellraiser as well and Creepshow. I never saw any of the Clive Barker movies until this year. They were always, they just seemed too scary for me. So I've been discovering them for the first time. Uh, Hellraiser 1 and 2, Nightbreed. Uh, Hellraiser is just uh, one of my favorites of all time. So that's what we did for uh, the birthday. You know, just pretty much kept it inside and had some cocktails and that was about it. Yeah, and then just extended it through Halloween. Exactly. Just the party just continued. And then that Friday was, well, we had our big dead show our dead uh live show thank everybody for uh joining us and playing along uh i can't believe i only got 15 points pretty embarrassing i was off who won the big the uh, big our thing? friend jasmine out in new york city jasmine won she got, she got uh, like 60 points yeah. i think you could only get 41 so how did she get 60 i don't know but you know it's on the honor system <laughs> so we gotta trust it i guess yeah <laughs> but, but yeah, it was a, lot of, a lot of like cool people watching uh people from minnesota people from uh, Utah, people from New York, people from California. It was a wonderful time, and the time just went boom really quick. And uh, also, we are naming the ghosts, right? Yeah, yeah, that's going on right now. The the name the ghost contest on the haunting season Instagram. We're putting up like polls. Uh, so first for for like this week, you can submit the names, and then we'll start doing like a bracket, you know, like you would with ping pong. Love the ping pong. And then uh, you know, by December, we'll have a name for the ghost. Maybe we'll have them on the show and uh, take it from there. Yeah, and then uh, going into and then Halloween, I, I saw that you were on Instagram and you were just absolutely just knocking movies out left and right. And I saw this; this was hilarious. So you're you're at the store, you've got your masked up, which is good. And I think you were at a Smart and Final because I think I know your neighborhood pretty well. So you're at the Smart and Final, and you said only the essentials, and you're pushing a cart. And I think there's a 12 pack of Lacroix or something like that. And then there's about 70 pumpkins just coming out of your cart. So my friend Allison, her girlfriend has lupus. And so during uh, all of this COVID stuff, they haven't left the house very much. And one thing Allison does every year is a pumpkin carving contest with her family. And she's pretty darn good at it. Um, and she texted me and said, w- would you help me find a pumpkin so that I can carve it? I'll, I'll drive over and, and grab it. I just you know don't want to go to the stores and go searching for one. And so I bought her a pumpkin patch to, uh, oh, to pick lovely. from. And then <laughs> Courtney and I kept the rest of them and did some carvings ourselves. Place looked great. And then you had them all carved up. They looked awesome. And then you were just on a marathon of, of horror flicks. I'm still binging. I like I to know. watch scary movies while I cook, so it's in like small increments. I uh, We were thinking about watching stuff. We went to the cemetery yesterday, which was, well, that was Sunday, so they were having like this Dia de los Muertes like celebration, oh, yeah. unbeknownst to me and and Jess. We went to the Hollywood Forever. As we get in, there's just like the place is packed, and I, we were like, uh, "Is there like some sort of event?" And then over by the mausoleum, you know, where like the they usually have the the movies playing. They had a huge tent, and they had uh, people that were working there at the cemetery, and they had like a mariachi band that was playing, and they had marigolds and all sorts of like these processions and. It was, oh, we were man. like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. I'm so jealous. It was, I mean, it was just like totally spontan, uh, you know, spontaneous that we went and did this and that, that this was going on at the at the place. It was pretty cool. So then afterwards we got home and I was like, I know it's November, October 33rd or whatever, but uh, <laughs> do you want to watch uh, maybe a scary movie? Yeah. Um, Jess, she wasn't. She was. She was all hollowed. She was all hollowed out. Well, it is. You know, technically, in in some traditions and beliefs, it's technically November. Um, and like yeah. you said, it's it's my birthday month, so I start getting those fall vibes. And it's hard here in California because it's still pretty warm. 
But uh, I like looking at everybody's Instagram back home and seeing all the leaves change. And yeah, uh, some places you know, we're getting snow. It gets chilly enough in the mornings here. I can like wear a sweater, which is nice. Yeah, and then it's ninety five by uh, eleven o'clock in the morning. It is. It is November, which we also have uh, the big the big Turk Day. Yeah, thanks. It's carving season, I think, is what they say. Carving season, yeah. It's carving season, which it's like the transition is making jack o' lanterns on Halloween, and then you transition into carving turkeys. Carving turkeys, yeah. Just uh, yeah. So we are in carving season. One of the traditions of of Thanksgiving is eating too much turkey, and then the tryptophan, you know, makes you. Oh right, you go you go to sleep. Yeah, I I think. Any sort of eating really makes me go to sleep. I don't know if it's necessarily <laughs> yeah, for me. Tur- yeah, if it's turkey. You know, I mentioned in, in my opening monologue that uh, I have a, a love-hate relationship with sleep, and uh, I really don't like sleeping. Um, but I have, to, I have to tell this before we get into the interview with Karen. Um, I, I had to take a nap. You're not a nap guy. No, usually naps, like, make me livid. I get up and I feel like I've wasted half the day and I'm in a bad mood the rest of the day. I don't get energy from it. I just feel groggy and I tend to have nightmares. So, you know, I'll wake up stressed out from whatever happened in my dream. But this was amazing. I don't know if it's a good omen for this interview or what, but um, I had like the best nap of my entire life. I had my dogs and I was in the bedroom in the warm light. I was like a cat curled up with yes. dogs in the sun. Welcome to the club, my friend. We're, we're glad to have you. I am a professional napper. I am, I am, if you need me, hire me. I will nap. I will teach you how to nap. I'm not going to pay you to nap. Come on, I'm, I'm the napper. I mentioned in the first episode that we're planning on selling ads for the show, but we're not quite there yet, so I wanted to take a second, in the spirit of keeping things consistent, to tell you about our ghost naming contest. See this little guy? He's in the logo and the opening credits and the interstitials in between segments, and he's become a real part of the show, and we thought he deserves a name. So here's how you can enter to win this competition. Subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Instagram, and send a name suggestion this week via direct message or the stories about the ghost. We'll take those names, choose our top 10, and then start the polling. The winner will get an appearance on the show. How cool is that? Head on over to Haunting Season on Instagram and enter to win, if you dare. Do you feel like Australia has its own spiritual personality? Oh, look, I'd say no, just because there's so many different people here from so many different cultures and so many different variations of religion as well. We're, as, as a whole, in theory, a Christian country, but really a lot of people don't go to church anymore. So we're not, we're not quite moved into the atheist uh, realm, I don't think, but, um, yeah, so there's just so we have so many people. I guess going back to your your upbringing, what, what was that like? What, what was your, you know, the family belief or your own personal beliefs that you started to develop? So we, my parents were always um, seekers for, from very early on. My mum converted to Judaism to get married, but very quickly they kind of moved off into more uh, Eastern religions. Um, so they were into transcendental meditation really early on, and that's the stuff I'm sort of keep doing this little bit of a memoir, I suppose, like a religious memoir I'm working on at the moment while I'm watching this TV show, The Past, just because it's really bringing back memories of what it's like to be in that sort of group of believers, I guess. It's quite an interesting thing. Um, so, of course, TM is really more about 
the present and what's happening in, in this life and your presence in the world and the world itself. Um, but then from there, they were Hare Krishnas for a while as well, which is very much about the afterlife and what comes next. So do good and you have a good reincarnation, do bad, and you go down to one of the many hells <laughs> that might exist down there. When, you, when you're like watching the show and you're taking notes, are you, are you, is it kind of like, is it trauma? No, mostly positive. It's mostly positive. There's a lot of boring stuff, you know, but there's like anything you do with your parents. There's a lot of boring sure. stuff, isn't there? A lot of sitting around and trying to keep yourself occupied while you wait for them to do their adult thing, whatever. The religious group after that they went into did cause me trauma. Um, just because I was getting older and I was definitely rebelling against them and I didn't like their beliefs and their ideals. I felt like they were very different to the Hare Krishnas as people and in their beliefs. They worshipped one living person and I didn't like that person and various things. So there was a lot of, there was actually a lot of trauma at that stage. I was a bit older and I was rebelling and really starting to find my own self. Um, but the pre, the earlier ones, like the Haris in particular, it was just lots of fun. Like we used to get up at four o'clock in the morning and dance, you know, dance Hare Krishna <laughs> and have these amazing feasts. And, you know, there was a lot about it that um, was great, but also very restrictive as well. 4 a.m., getting up at 4 a.m., even dancing, that doesn't sound like too much fun. I need my sleep. So I grew up in a very um, working to middle class white suburb in Melbourne this was just not even imaginable to people what I was doing at four o'clock in the morning so I didn't I wasn't really I was not honest about what I was doing certainly nobody knew there was one or two good friends who knew um, what happened on the weekends with me and what happened in the morning sometimes with me but mostly I would just make stuff up or just not talk about it I do feel like that's um, kind of formed me as a person, but also as a as a writer. I learned early; it was telling telling believable stories, I guess, early on, and not telling big lies. Like it wasn't about big lies. So, what part of what got me into writing stories about the paranormal and and tagging along on ghost hunts with people and go, going into these abandoned buildings and and all the stupid stuff that I do is a uh, sort of always seeking truth. I grew up Christian. Um, but I was taught to always challenge everything. And, um, and I feel like I'm still doing that. And it sounds like your parents did a fair amount of challenging things. And then you were challenged by their, you know, beliefs. So is that something that you continue today? And does that, you know, filter into why you think uh, you write so many different things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm not religious at all these days. I think having seen so many different variations of the same story and each one denied the previous one, um, I just decided early on that that wasn't my world. But certainly as far as questioning and wondering about human behaviour, but also about what comes next, what does it all mean, what's our purpose, that's absolutely at the heart of what I'm doing, whether I mean to or not. Uh, these are just the ideas that come to you. Um, makes it hard in some ways. I've got to write a story about, um, you know, we just had our bushfires, which you guys are having over there at the moment. Absolutely yeah. terrifying, terrifying. Uh, but a friend in the region where she lives, there a tree arbor burnt down. It's like a hundred year old or something tree arbor. And so they've asked some of us to write stories and we're going to tell a story about some of the trees that burnt basically. And it's going to be a big part of an arts thing and it's going to be fantastic. But um, I'm finding it hard because I need to kind of simplify the story because people are just going to be listening and it's not going to be necessarily my audience but a broad audience. And I find, I don't know about you, Josh, but I find it really hard to write a simple story. <laughs> like I want to layer that story. I want There's going to be a whole lot of stuff in there that doesn't necessarily, like I can't really do that, I don't 
thing in this context. So that I'm finding it kind of I'm finding a writer's block. I don't know how you go with that sort of thing. Yeah, I just try and get um other people involved. <laughs> like, come on, come on, what's our ideas? What do we got? So I read two of your stories um, of two different lengths. The first one uh, we spoke about last time we were on the phone, which was Sick Cats in Small Spaces. And that one's particularly short as part of an anthology. I think it's a great length for like campfire storytelling. Um, and it definitely has that hook at the end that we won't spoil for anybody listening. I found the characters to be very full, so much so that by towards the end of the book, I was just like so attached to them. How do you go about making sure you, you get all of that layered in while keeping it like really succinct? It's really difficult, isn't it? But it's so absolutely vitally important to have those characters um, believable and have some level of attachment to them. I guess I start with the characters sometimes. With those ones in particular, I, st- I actually started with the big pile of bottles. There was this big mound of glass bottles. Um, at one stage, it was the, the biggest mound of empty bottles in the world, they thought. <laughs> Men who were working in the outback in the mines and various other places, um, and they go drinking and then they'd all chuck their bottles here. And it was just this depository. And I just love this. It'd be like the history that's in those stacks of bottles. Every, every man, has, every person has held that bottle. Everyone had somewhere else to go to. Everyone else had a family waiting for them, perhaps, or they had friends. And I just love that sense of history and of the people in that in that stack of bottles. Like it's just a pile of glass, but at the same time, every single bottle there had a story. So that's where um, the ghosts in the bottles kind of concept came from. And the relationship stuff, yeah, that was, that just kind of emerged. You know, sometimes you have to think hard about who's gonna be in your story and sometimes they just end up in there. But I did go back, I did kind of, I rewrote them a few times and I rewrote the relationships a few times. When I got to the end, when I knew what the ending was, I had to go back and kind of shift what happened earlier too. It's got that classic setup in the beginning where you're like, oh no, small town, these like weird hillbilly a-holes are gonna like kill them. Or so, you know, and then it's like, hey, do you, you want to come see where the bottles are? And you're like, oh, that is not at all what I expected. Like, you know, they, they lure them with this treasure and then they're like, and we'll show you where it is if you want. I used to do a lot of um, surprise endings, but I feel like when you're having a surprise ending, you're spending your whole story working towards that surprise ending um, as opposed to actually telling the story and then getting to the ending. Do you know what I mean by that? When yeah. I've been working with a couple of mentees and one of them in particular wants the surprise ending, wants this thing to be a secret until the end. But I said that you're spending, she was really spending her whole time keeping the secret and then the story's not being told. I, I, I just think it's incredibly difficult to figure out the surprise ending. So I, for the most part, avoid it. I, I tend to get lost in the character development and like some of my favorite long form books are ones where like the paranormal stuff is like the third, you know, the last third or the last quarter of the book and everything leading up to that is just personality. Cause then you care, like you need to care. We're kicking off this podcast and we're like, Oh, what does the social presence look like? And one of the questions that came up was like, well, what could we do on TikTok?" And I just was like, I, I don't know how you do scary in like 15 or 30 seconds you could do a jump scare you could do like you're looking at a rocking chair and then it suddenly moves you know but like how do you make something really short meaningful like that and this is why it can be tricky being people who think the way we think because you don't we don't want to do just a simple 10 second quick scare thing we want to have that scare last for much longer than that and have much more meaning and it makes it 
tricky (laughs) and that's why there's so few like truly great horror movies because i as an exercise back in 2013 uh when i was really studying horror um i would watch movies and i would write down the time code of every time there was a scare and some of the worst movies it's like every 30 seconds there's some sort of like scary thing happening it's just so boring there's a plant here that is so poisonous and I actually walked past one once up in Queensland. It's so poisonous so that if the spikes get into you, that pain never stops, that pain never goes away. There's a certain possum, I think it is, who lives in that region and they have got used to eating that plant because they kind of have to because there's probably, you know, sometimes there's no other food. <laughs> so I think that's just it's such a good example of we get used to anything. Or desensitised. And that's not what you want in when you're trying to scare people. No. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, unless you're desensitizing them in some ways and then twisting around saying, well, how dare you be desensitized to that? You're a monster. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, a, that's kind of a twist, I suppose, that you can do. Josh, you were talking about uh, one of the stories. Into bones like oil, yeah. Do you bring some sort of truth? Like, is that based on something? Like, you were talking about the bottles and how you drew inspiration from that. So, some of the, like, your horror based on like a true story or an urban legend or like a some sort of like australian myth oh yeah because of the shipwreck right like it's taken me about 20 years to get to the point of writing that story or probably 25 actually gathering the characters for it in particular um it was mostly inspired by a rooming house that i actually stayed in in melbourne about 25 years ago and just how I don't know, I felt a lot of things in that place. It was like a the sort of place where people, it really is like the characters in that book. Uh, it's the last place that people go before they're on the street kind of thing. And so they're still clinging on to a sense of, I can do this, I can I can make a go of it. And I kind of really liked that about them. And the shipwreck was um, not a particular shipwreck, but I am absolutely fascinated. And we do have a number of shipwrecks around with stories about them. Um, there's an amazing one called the Batavia uh, which is a there was there was a shipwreck there was rebellion there was murder they all, oh look you'll have to look that one up there's all sorts of fabulous stuff back that book has a, a really deep connection to sleep and dreaming and and then connecting that to the spirit realm one of the reasons I think I became a writer is be, to try and get resolution to the nightmares that I used to have as a kid and as a teenager. Um, I'd wake up, you know, midway through, absolutely terrified, and to be able to write the ending to them or to see them through was a way that I could um, actually feel better about them and, and, I guess, dispel them. I actually taught my kids to do the same thing. If they wake up with a nightmare, I'd say, well, just lie there for five minutes or so and just finish that dream off, finish it off in a way that makes is better for you. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. And did you, did, was that just something you came up with as like a, a therapy for yourself? Yeah, I don't think anyone ever told me to do that. It's just something that I would do. I would like, I'll just wake up and go, ah, that was horrible. And then I would spend five minutes either continue, you know, continuing the horror of it, which was kind of fun, or somehow resolving it in my, in my head as well. But one of the scary things and the interesting things about sleep is how we are not in control anymore. Is that why you think like the horror genre and also sleep? marries so well together for sure because we're so keen on being in control most of the time or unless we deliberately choose not to be by you know drugs or drink or whatever like you do you can make those deliberate choices to not be in control anymore um but to do it without making that choice like we have to go to sleep whether or not it's difficult to sleep or not 
um, and then we're not there. You know, our bodies are there, but we're not there or something, you know, and anything can happen in that time. I don't think the term was astral projection, but was there some element of that that you were talking about that your parents were experimenting with? There was certainly an absolute belief in all of that sort of thing, in auras and astral travelling. And I think I used to find that part, you know, my mother gets annoyed at me because I do see horror in some of these things that she sees beauty in. Like to her, the astral travelling was, was amazing to me. It was kind of scary, like fascinating and exciting in a way, but also scary that you could leave your body and watch down on your body. And, um, and then somebody else was watching me as well, like the idea that there could be other people actually travelling around and, and watching me. Kind of reminds me of um, lucid dreaming and people who learn to like control their dreams. And so they, they can trigger something that uh, helps them realise that they're in a dream and then they can start to control it. Not sometimes... Um, be conscious that I'm dreaming and sometimes be able to step in and wake myself up. I think if it's too horrible, <laughs> I can sometimes do it. I had chronic nightmares for years and years and years as well. Um, and now they're usually stress work related. But um, <laughs> back when they were more creative and interesting, they, they would be sometimes truly terrible. But then I would wake up and I would realize like, oh, that was a dream. Well, that's kind of fun. And I would try to go back to the dream. Just this morning, just when I got your email, um, I quickly went in and had a look at some of the dream files that I've got, like where I've written down dreams over the years. It's not, I don't do it as much anymore, but I've got absolutely no recollection. Like I wrote it in absolute detail what was happening in these dreams. Nothing. There was no little glimmer of memory about them. Do you, do you remember yours? I have a handful, like maybe four or five that I could recall like every single moment. Like one or two of them are from childhood childhood like very young and very scary for someone who hadn't watched any horror movies or you know I had some dream um I remember so many details about like pushing giant cubes of butter down the aisles of the church to attract the aliens because that was the only way we could do it and then the end of the dream I ended up in my grandparents cabin and there was a series of doors and you had to shut them a certain way to make sure the aliens couldn't come in and my mom was like eat your cereal eat your cereal and I looked up and I was like I'm not hungry and her eyes flashed and then a hand came out of her mouth and ripped my face off what (laughs) yep and I had that dream probably when I was like 11 and I don't know why that's amazing Josh you remember that detail I think there's a few that I remember in that kind of detail they're like imprinted Mm. um, but mostly to go away I have a few recurring dreams as well um, and I find those ones really interesting. If I'm, if I'm getting sick, I often have a, a series of dreams where something repetitive is happening, which is really weird. Like I'm trying to, a door too, actually. I'm trying to get through a door or somebody was, I had one where the whole group of people were trying to teach me, teach me maths, which is just weird. But just really, really weird repetitive things. And I kind of feel like it's my, it's my system trying to battle with the whatever virus or whatever it is I've got. Um, so I find that really interesting. But yeah, recurring. Do you have any recurring ones, either of you, Cody? Do you have uh, I, I have. It's a learning algebra of where I'm in a classroom and like some teachers trying to teach me algebra, and I have no idea how how to do it. Or another one is uh, where I'm like riding a, a bike and then a mailbox comes out of nowhere and then I I hit it. Wow. I know. And then I wake up like oh, you know. I can't remember when they started, but it will either be uh, a a giant staircase that's around a circular building that goes several stories up and has no railing. And I either am coming up or I'm going down. 
Um, and then the other one is being in a freight elevator and horsing around. And again, you know, many, many, many stories up. And it starts to, on the inside, just curve and open up to the bottom. And you're just sliding, you know, going to drop. I remember years ago, somebody telling me that that feeling of falling in your dreams as you actually coming back. This is probably my mother told me this one. Um, that's that's your astral traveling, your soul coming back into your body as you're about oh, to wow. Like, oh. I love that. I love those dreams where you're falling or you're flying. Yeah. I have the I have one where I can't, my feet are really, I can't walk. I'm really slow with walking. And so I start going, woo, woo, woo. And then I kind of fly through the air. <laughs> I do a workshop where I work with people to use elements of their dreams and turn them into a story that we want to, that we want to read. Because you know, it's like we're been having fun telling each other these little snippets of our dreams. But it's actually, it's a kind of boring when somebody wants to tell you their dream in detail. Like, it's really not a good story. Oh, is my it, gosh. Right? No, it's, it makes no sense. Really cool we're just doing little snippets. My sister was notorious for doing that. And then, and then it'd be like, what is this dream of? You've got like 75 different dreams going on here. Uh, hell, now you're just rambling. And now I just think you're making things up. And you're just seeing like, oh, and then a door came out. And then I hit the door. And then I saw a fly swatter. And then I took the, it's like, Come on. <laughs> it's like a first draft of a story, like they put that first brain vomit of a story that nobody else should read, right? The guts of the story is there and the bones of the story, but you've got to do the hard work to actually turn it into a readable story. Edit. you got to go see an editor first before you start telling your story, please. Hey, do you like the music in this show? Well, the great news is there's more of it. When we were talking about a reboot, I knew I wanted to work with someone who had a similar nostalgia for the 80s and 90s, but also a forward-thinking love of the future. I found North Innsbruck on Instagram, and it turns out that they're from Minnesota, where I did the majority of my paranormal investigations. Well, long story short, North Innsbruck shared the vision for the show and created the custom tracks you hear throughout Haunting Season. Just a few days ago, North Innsbruck dropped a new album called A Delicate Balance, and it's now available everywhere. Link in the description. So, if you like the music we use here, go get lost in it for a little bit. But, uh, finish watching the show first. Oh my goodness, what an interview. What a pleasure it was discussing all things with Karen Warren. What a talent and really, you know, just really appreciate her taking a time out of her day because who knows what her time of day is with... She's she's in another, I mean, another dimension, really, if you think about it. She's in a completely different time zone, one. her Different hemisphere. Different hemisphere. She's in a different uh, weather pattern. She's going into summer, right? Is that how it works? And we are think, going, yeah. we are in the fall, so they are going into summer. But uh, what an honor and what a pleasure it was to uh, talk with uh, Karen Warren and what a talent she really is. One thing that we talked about, uh, and it kind of came up, and since we're talking about dreaming and sleep and everything, is lucid dreaming. And I just wanted to like quickly do a um, like a definition of that because some people uh, think maybe it's one thing and some people think it's another. So it's it's not when you have a very vivid dream, it's when you're um, very aware that you're dreaming and then you can start to control parts of your dream. So what you're saying is, is basically you are writing your own dream. You go into dreaming like normal and then you have this 
moment where you're like, wait a second, this is a dream. Okay, so what if I, you know, and there are people who like train themselves to uh, better control their dreams. Like it's something you can train yourself in and study and like get better at. I would love to be a, 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 a you know a case study in this thing if it if if it just requires a heavy sleeping and a lot of time in bed. I'm I'm all for it, Joshua. So have you never had a lucid dream? There's a Edgar Allan Poe uh, poem called "A Dream Within a Dream." I dreamed a dream. Oh no, <laughs> well, not that. It's, no, it's a dream within a dream. So I I've had like a couple where I've been like been told, hey you're dreaming and then i'm like by someone in the dream yeah yeah and then i say like what and then i kind of look at myself like oh well i guess i should probably wake up but then i also tell myself like no you're in a dream you can control this you can make everything you know you can do whatever you want have you done this lucid dreaming stuff have you have have you had any sort of yeah i have i have one reoccurring dream that um that i can control and it's about falling um towards the earth and then i realize if i use the force of my hands i can keep myself from smashing into the ground and so it's not quite flying and what do you think you're doing while you're like sleeping do you think you're like while probably you're doing this <laughs> yeah so i was gonna say because there is a i know we kind of briefed on this but like there's the the thing that a lot of people have which is like sleep paralysis which is basically your body just is is paralyzed while you sleep and this is this can cause people to have like a fear of sleep they're afraid mm -hmm. to go to sleep because of this condition yeah so i think what happens is you're you're falling asleep and then uh your body thinks that it is asleep but your brain is still awake or thinks that it's still awake but it's dreaming so you can have hallucinations and you can uh, see things that aren't there and hear things and you cannot move your body but you are convinced that you're awake have you ever had any sort of experience I have. with yeah really yeah i mean i don't mean this to be the show where i'm like Psh, done that got the t-shirt yeah i actually i made a, a haunting season episode about it i'm sure of it it's in there and um basically what happened was i was in college this only happened once i was in college i was laying in my bed and this light kept getting brighter outside of my window and it came into my room and uh it turned into this figure standing at the foot of my bed and it was a cloaked figure and its face was all the faces of every person I've ever met. And like the mouth would open up to another person and the eye would open up to another person and the ear would open up, you know, and a mouth would come in like, you know, and it just kept changing to all these different people that I knew. Um, and it was some evil demon. And he was saying, um, I I'm here to you know, because of your sins or something, you know, I guess I was feeling guilty at the time. Um, but I never remember falling asleep. I just remember like he said some crappy stuff to me and then was like, you know, snap. And there was a flash. And then I was in this dream. And then at the end, ended up back in bed and the light went back out the window. I never remember waking up or falling asleep. It just was all consistent. And I couldn't move my body during the part that I was in bed weird i don't think i've ever had any sort of uh experience like that where completely uh that sounds horrific that's the only time that's ever happened you've never really had any sort of any other kind of experience like that while no, sleeping that was it so then the opposite would be like what if you're paralyzed okay well here's one uh sleepwalking yeah have you ever seen um uh mike bubiglia is that his name? He's a stand-up comedian. He's got a movie called Sleepwalk With Me, 
and he's he's an aggressive sleepwalker and that's not like putting it lightly either he's throwing himself out of a second story window while sleepwalking you got to watch the movie it's crazy there's sometimes where like my dog at 8 8 30 8 o'clock in the morning little uh fozzy will come onto my chest and like be like hi i need to go for a walk but i'll still be sleeping and then i i like my mind will quickly rapidly in in the deep sleep will be like oh you're on the fire you're getting shot you know you're or, or there's something happening where there's or like maybe a surgery or something's happening and i'll wake up and be like what the hell and then it's just it's just a little fozzy and his little paws on my chest so i wonder what mike what was when he had impact after falling like what was his mom what was his dream and then you wake up in a in a hospital room probably i would assume unless he just like splat and then got up and started walking away like still sleepwalking yeah but i'm sure he was having some sort of like visceral dream so i had this other friend in college i wish i could remember her name she was like you know friend of a friend she would be around sometimes but when she would fall asleep like if we were watching a movie in someone's dorm room and she fell asleep she would start talking in her sleep you could manipulate what she was dreaming so instead of like her being lucid and controlling her dream the people who are awake were making suggestions and she would go along with it. And so you would be like, hey, uh, do you want to get into this boat and like push the laundry basket over to her? And she'd be like, oh, yeah, let's get in the boat. And we like pick up the paddle and start, you know, paddling. And so she would start paddling. And the way we knew this was real was because she was doing terribly in math class. She's not good at math at all. But when she was asleep, she was a math whiz. You could throw any equation at her and she'd give you the answer. Okay. Now, were her, her, like, her eyes open and would you like see her working? So her eyes were closed. and you Her would... eyes were closed and you'd be like, you know, you'd be with a new group of kids and uh, a new group of friends. And you'd be like, oh, you got to watch this. This is so funny. And you'd be like, Yo, be careful. You're stepping on the edge of the building. And she'd be like, oh, my, oh my God. And they'd be like, that's bullshit. That's not true. Like, she's obviously faking it. And we'd be like, what's the square root of 24? She would be doing your homework for you. After a while, I was like, shit, let's just have her sleep over. And I, I'm going to have her do my homework for me. You know, that would have been smart. I, I was not that <laughs> You blew smart. it. That's amazing, though. Jesus Christ. So she retains some sort of information there and she can get it when she sleeps. But then when she's in the waking, it's like five plus five, 53. Hopefully not that bad. But yeah, I mean, the brain, the brain has so much pow untapped power. All right. So sleepwalking, what else is there with the dreams or night terrors, if you will? Yeah, well, do you know the difference between night terrors and, and nightmares? There, There is a difference between nightmares and night terrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, common misconception. People will think that just like a really vivid nightmare is a night terror. The reality of it is, is uh, a nightmare, you're having a horrible dream, but you're sleeping peacefully. And a night terror is uh, you may be shouting things or screaming or sweating or your heart rate is really high and you're flailing, you know, so it's a you have a physical reaction to the nightmare. A night terror is is not like fully into sleep. A nightmare would be like you've gone deep into sleep. Well, sure. Yeah, yeah. So a nightmare happens in REM sleep and then um, a night terror would happen in non-REM sleep. So it's like, you know, it would last maybe a minute to 10 minutes. Yeah, it would be pretty early on in the in the sleeping pattern. Yeah, which I think is why your body is like a little more active. Have you heard that old urban uh, legend? If you hit the ground, you, act, you, will, you won't wake up from your sleep. 
you'll actually die. I've heard that before, but I believe it's false because it reminds me of, um, so in college I had to take this philosophy class and we read some Freud uh, because you can't really do philosophy without Freud. And uh, there was a story, I think it was called um, Moray's Dream. This French guy has this dream. Um, he had fought in the French Revolution. And one night he has this dream that he is uh, on trial for all of his war crimes. But he can't remember what any of them are. And because he can't remember, he can't defend himself. And so they put him into the dungeon and he's there for a while and they're sentencing him to death and they bring him out and there's this huge crowd and he's looking around and he's begging for his life and they put him on his knees and they, you know, put a hood over his head and stick his head through the hole of the guillotine and he can see the crowd through, you know, the mesh of the, of the hood and he looks up and he sees the executioner drop the rope and the guillotine comes down, chops off his head and rolls into the basket, and then he wakes up, and he realizes that his bedpost had fallen and hit him in the neck. And the whole dream happened in a millisecond. So he had the dream because the bedpost hit him in the neck, and he woke up because the headpost hit him in the neck. Simultaneously. Well, that's amazing. Okay, okay, okay. So that, that kind of goes like with what I was saying with, like with Foz, where like he'll be on my chest, and then I, I, my mind will make something up real quick. But then like bullets. <laughs> But bullets, right. And little fozzy paws are, are bullets. But I wonder how this works. Like, did, did the thing happen first? Like, it obviously hit his neck, right? And because you're sleeping, your brain has to make up a reason that this happened. You didn't see it fall and hit. You right. feel, you feel, and so your brain is reacting. And because of the speed at which your brain works, in a flash, you have that entire dream. That is Being insane. on trial, being taken to the dungeons, being presented before all the people. If we could just only maximize that, 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 that brain activity and that power in, uh, while we're awake... Think of the things we could unlock. I mean, we could find a cure for cancer. We could we could figure out climate change. We would find tons of vaccines for any sort of thing, right? Yeah. Well, this is this is why people dream journal because the reality of a dream, the reason we dream is because uh, your brain is wiping the slate of anything that you don't need to retain. So like if you're in a grocery store and like 10 aisles down, there's a woman wearing a red sweatshirt. Right. But you don't ever look at her. It's just in your peripheral vision. But you're looking at the person checking you out and you're picking out gum or whatever. If that grocery store was held up and the police came to your house and they said, do you remember a uh, woman in a red sweatshirt? You'd be like, oh, yeah. You know what? I think I do. And that would be important. And so your brain has that because it's just soaking in everything in almost 180 degrees in every direction. But at night, your brain goes like, okay, what of this stuff do we need? What can we get rid of? And so the, the woman in the red sweatshirt, the police don't come to your house. She's not important. You have a dream about a woman in a red sweatshirt. You have no idea why. You haven't seen a woman in a red sweatshirt. And then sometimes, you know, that sticks. And then you wake up and you're like, man, I just can't get this woman with a red sweatshirt out of my head. But you have no idea where that came from, even though, you know, your brain knows it came from the grocery store. But what should happen is she's wiped from your memory along with a bunch of other useless stuff you don't need. So it's, it, what we're supposed to be doing while we sleep is just basically mind erase. Just mind mind swipe of everything. And so Yeah, yeah, out. and then the dreams you remember, something went wrong. One, one of the steps didn't stick. Hunting Season was created by me, 
Joshua Sterling Bragg, produced by Greg Holdsman and Jessica Richmond, and executive produced by Matt Gielen, Patrick James Lynch, and Ryan Gielen, and is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Gielen. This episode was written and hosted by me, Cody Dugan, and Joshua Sterling Bragg. It was edited by Colby Crow, and all the music in this episode was made exclusively for the podcast by North Innsbruck. One last huge shout out to our guest again, Karen Warren. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. Full episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Next week is a story episode, and it's a little different from last month. It's one you're really going to want to close your eyes and put on some headphones for. It's going to be weird and spooky and totally immersive. And then the week after that, part two is going to double all that. It's the story episodes coming up next on Haunting Season. Can't wait. See you next week. Bye.